Good morning, everybody. Um, normally, we uh, tell you to open to a, a passage. Uh, you can probably open to Ephesians 5 because we're going to be referring to that. This is part two of a, a nuts and bolts series that I've been doing. Uh, last time, I, we talked about God's uh, design and desire for marriage, and, and we're going to continue on with some more practical things um, about that same topic. I mentioned last time that somehow marriage has become a, a controversial topic. Um, and I argued that as Christians, we don't have to apologize for what God has clearly laid out for us to follow. Uh, we can actually wholeheartedly celebrate it in, in good conscience. Because when God did this, he said, it's very good. And if God says it's very good, it's okay for us to agree with that and get on board. God created men and women to be distinctly different on purpose. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message, it kind of sets the framework for this one. Um, so I would maybe encourage you to go back and listen to it if, if you get a chance. Uh, but this morning, like I said, we're going to be talking about some of the practicalities of how to implement God's design so that our marriages, one, honor Him, two, so that they succeed, and three, so that they preach the story of the gospel to the watching world. Whether you know it or not, Christian marriage does do that. It, it points us to a greater marriage and to a greater love story. It's one of a father who planned a wedding for his son. He uh, prepared a, a precious bride for him. So Jesus is the groom, the church is the bride, and we see how Jesus loved his bride and gave everything to make her his own. He loves her unconditionally, and he promised that he would never leave her or forsake her, even though we give him every reason to divorce us every day. Right? We're unloving, we're disrespectful, we're disobedient, we're unfaithful, uh, we nag and complain all the time. I mean, if you, you, know, you could just picture him going, why do I put up with these people? And yet he does. Um, his love isn't predicated on how well we perform or how well we love him, and, and Christian marriages should reflect the same gospel picture. But before we dive in, I want to kind of give you three quick encouragements. Uh, first one is this, if you disagree with um, the things that I'm talking about today, uh, don't, don't just immediately, you know, kind of hang in there because you might learn something about why Christians believe what they believe. Uh, when, we, when we listen to somebody that has a, a different view than us, we gain a little bit of charity for that view or for those people. That's a rare thing in our day. We need to be willing to listen to things that we don't agree with and, and try to learn from it. So if you don't find yourself agreeing, just hang in there. It's okay. Number two, if you're currently single, hang in there. Right? It's easy when the subject of marriage comes up just to go, well, this doesn't apply to me and, and, sh and shut off. Don't do that. I would argue that it does apply to you. Uh, marriage is something that each of us should be well-versed in. So this might prepare you to be successful in a future relationship. It, it might give you some clarity on what went wrong in a past relationship. Or maybe you'll run into somebody. God will bring somebody your way who, who needs counsel. And, and you can, as a Christian, talk to them about what their marriage should look like and what they need. So this does apply to you, so don't tune out. And then three, I just want to say this one. I'm going to make some general statements about what men are like and what women are like. There's always like, you know, there, there are and there always will be anomalies when it comes to these things. So if you hear something that's like, well, that's not true, don't, don't just settle down. It's okay. These are generalities. It may not apply to every specific person, but I've seen people get weirded out about, you know, if you say something like this. So that's it. Okay, so men and women are different. Amen? We get that. These differences are by design. When God said it wasn't good for man to live alone and that he would make a helper fit for him, he means just that. Men and women were designed to enhance and kind of fill in the areas where the other person is lacking. This makes us a better team. Um, it's really helpful 
in marriage to be aware of these differences and to welcome them instead of being annoyed by them. Because that's often what we do. We want, we want somebody to be just like us, and if they're different, it's, it, it annoys us. Your spouse is not your enemy. And I know that that shouldn't have to be said, but sometimes we treat them that way. So even though you may come at things a completely different way, that's not a bad thing. For example, um, if Joy is talking to me about a struggle that she's having at work, uh, my tendency is to go right into problem-solving mode. So she's, she's saying, you know, I've got this thing going on, and I'm like, okay, here's a list of five things you can do. I, I, I get to work, right? This is what we need to do. Let's develop a, an action plan. And, and she's just going, wait a second, I just want you to, to sympathize with what I'm saying and, and support me in this. Now, I don't understand that. It makes no sense to me. It's like uh, me just saying to her something like, wow, hon, that, that sounds really hard. Doesn't seem like it should help. But that's what she's looking for right there. If I come at her with logic when she really just needs emotional support, I don't get it, but I've learned that that's, that's, that's helpful. So, um, and in the same way, she has to figure things out about me that are weird. So, for instance, I can do one thing at a time really well, right? I don't want to brag, but one thing at a time. She's different than, than me. She can be doing all kinds of things at the same time really well. I don't know how she does it, but she can be like reading a book watching a movie, you know, thinking about what she's going to do t- tomorrow and listening to a conversation. And she's kind of getting all of it. I cannot do that. So if she walks into the room and I'm watching TV and she starts talking to me, you would think she thinks, oh, he'll be able to do both of these things. No, I go into this weird void of like, I don't hear anything. I stop hearing the TV. I stop hearing her. I just kind of go into no man's land and just like, you know, bzzz, I don't hear anything. So she has to learn that about me, not be annoyed by it. Just know that we're different. Um, we're wired different. Some of these, those are just two examples, by the way. There's all kinds of examples of things like this that, that, that you know, were different. And, and God didn't give us these things to cause us irritation with each other. Uh, it's good that we're different, right? Some of these differences have more to do with our personalities than our gender, though. And so some of the ways, just the way you're wired. Um, there's the old saying that opposites attract, and that's actually a, a good thing. Uh, so, for instance, I tend to be a realist. As some people say pessimist, but I don't, I don't think that's called for. I'm a realist, and joy is what I like to call an unrealistic dreamer. Uh, some people would call that. Some people would call that an optimist. I'm just giving her her time. She knows. Um, but but yeah, I'm pessimistic. She's optimistic. It's probably good that we're we're you know we balance each other out. We don't have to look at this as a negative thing. It's probably good that we're not both the same way. It would it would wouldn't work as well. Um, the other thing, like for me, I tend. Uh, I know you're not going to believe this. I tend to stress out a bit. I tend to worry about things. Um, she doesn't really sweat the small stuff, hardly sweats the medium stuff, and very rarely sweats the big stuff, which I don't understand, but can you imagine if we were both kind of the weird worrier types? That would be a bad thing. We make a better team because we're different in that way. So the bottom line is I'm a better man because I'm married to Joy, and I'm really glad she's not like me. Uh, Part of succeeding in marriage is coming to this realization and not resenting my wife because she's not the way that I am or doesn't behave just like I do. Uh, Because me trying to make her like me, that's that's a bad idea. I kind of did that in the first few years of my marriage. It's like, well, if she was just like me, this would work out better. No, I don't need to be married to two of me. Or, you know, that sounded weird. I'm not married to myself. That's the thing now, by the way. You can do that. I don't know why. but, um, But I don't need two people like me in my marriage is the point. So we don't see our spouse as the opposition. We should see them as God's grace in our lives. Uh, when you can get to that point and see that difference, it, it, it's helpful. So the, the different roles and responsibilities God has given to men and women in marriage are made to complement each other and not compete with each other. 
Last time we looked at the role God gives husbands to love their wives and to lead their wives. Um, we've been given a very helpful example as men to follow. Our Lord Jesus Christ is, is our example in the way that he loved the church and gave himself for her. So this is a self-sacrificing love that makes her needs a priority. That's what that looks like. We also looked at the role that God gives to wives. They need, they're, they're supposed to submit to their husbands and show them respect. And they're also given a helpful example in our Lord Jesus Christ to follow in the way that he submitted himself to the Father. Um, so Ephesians 5.33 kind of sums these two things up. Uh, we we kind of landed there last time by telling us that the husband is to love his wife as himself and that the wife is to see that she respects her husband. And last time I pointed out that love and respect are, are kind of like endangered species in marriages today. Uh, we don't see them very often, but we desperately need this if our marriages are going to work. Have you ever seen a man who does not have the respect of his wife? He is a defeated man. He is an emasculated man. It's not a pretty thing to see. Um, and then the opposite of that, though, have you ever seen a man whose wife is proud of him, who builds him up and tells him how good he is at doing things and how capable he is and how strong he is? That, that man, it feels like a champion. Uh, the same thing with a woman. With a, woman. Um, a woman who doesn't feel the love of her husband feels insecure, feels neglected, feels unvalued, but a wife who is cherished and protected and cared for and made to feel beautiful and precious by her husband is very secure, very confident woman. Now, the bummer is that it's possible for, to know this stuff as Christians and still not do it. And this is frustrating because I, I would say that most of you guys already know this stuff, but, but actually implementing these things into our marriage and doing them, and I've seen this so many times. I see Christian marriages where they know this stuff, they don't do it. The problem is that our default position is to focus on ourselves and to focus on what we need. That comes easy to us. It's much harder to focus on the other person and what they need. We, we're not as good at that. So what happens is we make um, fulfilling the role that God has given us. It's like we know what it is. We know we're supposed to do it. But we make a contention on the other person doing their part. Right? So we're treating marriage like a contract and, and not a covenant when we do that. A contract is conditional. I'll do my part as long as you do your part. But the minute you don't fulfill your obligation, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I don't have to do my part. A covenant is very different than that. It's not conditional. It's an agreement made between two people where vows are exchanged you know, to each other and to God. And if you're married, you did this. Now, most of you, when you get married, you're so nervous that day that you're barely aware of anything that goes on, uh, you know, especially what you say to each other. It's funny how many people go, I don't remember most of that. It was like a blur. It just went by fast, and I'm just glad I didn't pass out. Well, let me help you out. This is kind of probably what you said. I take you to be my spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till one of us doesn't do their part. No, that wasn't it. Till death do us part. Now, in case you didn't notice, Where's the escape clause? In, in the, in the, in the, there isn't one, right? There's not one there. The only thing that breaks this covenant is death. And it isn't, that's, not, that's not, you can't plan a murder here. This, murder is also sin. So <laughs> let's go with natural death, right? In fact, God says that the man and the woman who enter into this covenant of marriage actually become one flesh and says, what I have joined together, let no one separate. So this covenant binds them together in, in such a way. God does this thing that they're, they're never supposed to come apart, ever. Becoming one flesh means that you're no longer distinctly your own. You belong to someone else, 
Someone else belongs to you. So once married, that means you share everything, your home, your money, your time, your bodies, your passwords, your plans, your goals, your future, whatever it is, it's now shared. Your life becomes beautifully entwined with your spouse. So because we've entered into a covenant instead of a contract, it means that the command that God gives husbands to love and wives to respect have nothing to do with what the other person does. Do you see that? Right? Somebody might say, but it's hard. Doesn't matter. (laughs) But they don't deserve it. Doesn't matter. But they aren't doing their part. It doesn't matter. Husbands, God doesn't tell you to love your wives as long as she is lovable. And wives, God doesn't tell you to respect your husbands as long as he is respectable. You you know the, the command that God gives children to honor their parents has nothing to do with whether the parents are honorable. He's put them in a position that he wants them to be honored. It's important to God. That's why he says that. And and it's the same with with, with marriage. God wants husbands to be respected by their wives and wives to be loved by their husbands. So we do this as an act of obedient worship to God. We do this because he's asked us to do it. If we let it be contingent on what the other person does, what happens is we will inevitably get into this bad cycle of no love and no respect. And and I've seen this in in far too many marriages where the husband withholds his affection because she's she's not treating me with the respect that I deserve. And then the wife goes, well, he's not loving me, so I'm not respecting that guy at all. And they get into this negative cycle that self-perpetuates. You might be in it right now. You know, this, it's very easy to get into. But the good news is it's possible to get out of that cycle by doing what God has asked you to do. You can reverse course and get into the good cycle of love and respect. And it also self-perpetuates. This is the amazing thing that I've seen, and it works. A husband who feels the respect of his wife will have a very easy time showing her love, right? And a woman who feels the love of her husband will have a much easier time submitting to him and respecting him. So this is good news. And, and, and the even cooler thing is we can help each other out. You know, if you want to help your wife, men, do your best to be respectable. If you want to help your husband's women, do your best to be lovely. It, it, it just kind of puts you into this nice, good cycle of, uh, of, of something much better than the, the ugly negative cycle of a loveless marriage. I've seen this work in even the most difficult of marriages. So if you're willing to accept and take on the role God has given you, regardless of what your spouse does, it can change the course of everything. It can revolutionize your marriage. So then practically speaking, what what does it look like um, in in our everyday lives? I want to kind of touch on this a little bit. What does it look like um, for a a woman to um, submit to and respect her husband? Well, first let me tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't mean simply going along with your husband's leadership as long as you agree with his decisions. Right? That's, 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 that's pretty easy to do. It's not what it means. It also does not mean pretending to be submissive while remaining in complete charge of everything and always getting your own way. Okay? It's possible to, to seem submissive, to look like it, and not be at all. In a situation like that, just for what it's worth, it's, it's, it's easy, and I've seen husbands do this, it's easier for you just to throw your hands up and say, It's not worth it. I'm just going to keep the peace and let her have her way. Here's the problem. Does this honor God's design and desire for marriage? No, it doesn't. So submission means actually allowing your husband to lead and encouraging him and supporting him in that role. So wives, what this means is that you're probably going to have to learn to trust your God more than you trust your husband's decisions sometimes. (laughs) Okay? That's, That's what it means. And, and here's the cool thing. God has given you access to a secret weapon 
And some of the wives are going, oh, I already know about this. You know, if I withhold, you know, this thing, he'll do what I want. And if I manipulate this way or if I give him the silent treatment, or that's not your secret weapon, you know. If I nag him enough, that's not it. It's called prayer. Prayer is your secret weapon. Because praying for God to change decisions and outcomes and behaviors behind your husband's back, that's fair game, right? You can do that all day long. It's okay. And um, from, you know, my own experience, I would tell you that it works. Uh, there's times when I'll come with this great idea, be like, hey, I've changed my mind about this thing, and we're going to start doing this, and I'll look over, and Joy's got just kind of a little, little smile on her face, like, huh, how about that? You know, it's like, you were praying. Yeah, well, uh, that's fair. She didn't, she, didn't, she didn't disrespect me or, you know, in, in any way about that. That's fair game. I just, just remember this. A husband has to answer to God for the decisions that he makes. Wives, you have to answer to God for the way you respected him in those decisions, okay? A couple of quick caveats, because I want to make sure we hear this. This doesn't mean that you disobey God in order to obey your husband. So if we leave here today and I say, hey, Joy, we're going to go knock over a bank on the way home, it's okay for her to say, I'm not going to submit to that decision. That would be violating God's law, okay? Can't do that. Uh, The other thing I want to point out to husbands, uh, because you are the leader in your home and and you're the, the one that has to make the final decision, you would be foolish not to listen to what your wife has to say. You would be foolish not to have conversations that affect your family without taking into account her wisdom. Again, knowing that God has made her different than you, she has, she sees stuff you don't. Um, th- this is, you know, something you need to do. Um, that's part of loving your wife is listening to her and, and, and adding that into the mix. So wives, what are some practical ways that you can show respect to your husbands and why does it matter? Um, You know, I want to go back to a verse I read a minute ago. I think it's interesting that when people read the passage in Genesis where it says, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. They only see it in a negative way towards women, but they don't see what it's actually kind of indicating about men there. You know, do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Okay. I don't think God is saying, hey, this guy's going to need somebody to make him sandwiches and fold his underwear, you know, and which we appreciate very much. I don't think that's what he was saying here. Um, I think he was saying, uh, he looked at man and he said, buddy, you're going to need help. It's not good for you to do this by yourself. You're going to need help. And, and this is what, what we see. And, and, I, and wives, I don't think you understand how, how true this is. Um, I, don't, I don't think you understand how important the role is that you play in our lives as men. You know, growing up, I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. Uh, my dad, without meaning to, often made me feel like an inco- just a, um, an incompetent idiot. Uh, I, I can remember him saying things to me, you know, I just did it the wrong way. And, you know, he, he would even say something. I can hear it still, you know, you idiot. He used to call me a DS. First word was dumb. I'm not going to say the second word. But he would call me that. Like, that just defeats you as a, as a young man. I had no confidence to do anything. And, and when I got married, I didn't feel like I could do anything right. And, and Joy could have continued that trend because I wasn't very impressive. I wasn't very capable. But she did the exact opposite. Um, I just, I just remember those times when I knew it wasn't even true necessarily, but it's like she made me feel capable and, and manly and things like that. And over time I gained confidence and I gained ability and I became more respectful. I, I would just say, wives, don't underestimate how important your role is for your husband in this area. He needs this from you more than anybody else. So build him up with your speech. 
compliment him. Speak well of him in front of your kids, in, in front of your friends, especially in front of your mothers. I mean, just, that's, it's funny how that, this works, but wives think, oh, you know, I'll go, I'll go talk to my mom about this. You're going to sabotage your husband if you say, you know, too much wrong there. Be careful there. But my wife has always done, a, a, you know, very well in this area, even when I didn't deserve it. And God has used it mightily in my life. Um, you know, when, like I said, find ways to just let your husband feel like the man. Tell him how, how handsome and smart and strong he is. We'll eat it up, even if we know it's not entirely true. I'll just tell you. I'll, I'll hear that all day long. It means something to us. We are an interesting creature as men, but we're not very complex, really. Uh, we need to be respected and appreciated and esteemed and honored right? and fed. That helps too. But, but, um, but here's the thing. If the, our wives are not the champions of this area of our life, we are really gonna struggle as men, okay? So the role you play in marriage is crucial. It pleases God greatly when you excel in it. Okay, husbands, what are some practical ways that you can love your wives daily and why does it matter? I have discovered something in my 33 years of marriage. When my relationship with my wife isn't going well, I can almost bring it back to the fact that I'm not loving my wife. It's weird that I fig- it took me so long to figure this out. Uh, it's normal for us to always think it's the other person. If something's going wrong in your life, you think, oh, they're doing it. It's them. It's not me. Uh, we don't want to point the finger at ourselves. But there's a guy named Paul Tripp who wrote something in his book, and the first time I heard it, I was irritated by it. He said, the biggest problem in your marriage is you. It's like, oh, yeah, you're coming at me, bro? It's like, really? That's how we feel about this? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it. The biggest problem in my marriage is me. So... When joy isn't being the wife that I want her to be, I have to ask myself, I've just learned it, how are you loving your wife? And I can almost always point it back to the fact that I am dropping the ball there. And when I start to do it again, guess what happens? She falls back into line. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, the marriage gets better again. So loving your wife as Jesus loves the church means sacrifice, It means devotion. It means giving yourself to making sure she is cared for, that she is secure, that she is provided for, that she is protected, that she is cherished. It means that you lead her spiritually, men. It means that you are patient with her. Think, you know, it's it's funny how men can be so impatient with their wives sometimes. I see this a lot. I see it in my own self, and I see it with other guys, and and it's it's hard to see. Um, I don't like it when I see guys being short with their wives. Think about how patient Jesus is with us. I mean, my goodness, he's so patient with me. There's a verse that we like to avoid because it says something that's uncomfortable. And so it's one of those where you read it and you just kind of skip on by quickly because it's like we don't want to look at that too, too long. But it's an important verse, and I'm going to read it for you, so brace yourself. You ready? 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That ends with something like, so my prayers may not be hindered. That's a big deal verse right there. But let's go ahead and get the awkward thing out of the way first. (laughs) What does it mean when it says women are the weaker vessel? Well, it can't mean that they are of inferior value. Uh, The text points out that they are fellow heirs of the grace of life. A fellow heir means something. This would have been unheard of in their culture, by the way. Um, being an heir to an inheritance was distinctly for men. So the command to um, honor our wives is, is, in this way is another example of how God values women. This was written at a time when women 
really were not honored much. They were treated and viewed more like property. Christianity treats women radically different. Honored means to place a high value on something, to esteem it, or, or, or to treat it as though it had great worth. And husbands are said, we're, we're told to honor our wives. Think of them that way. They have great worth. They're very valuable. When you have something that's really valuable, you, you're really careful with it. You know what I mean? You, you, you protect it. You take care of it. You, you cherish it. And I wish more people did this with their spouses. I just want to speak bluntly to you for a minute here. Do you realize how lucky you are to have found somebody who wants to be with you? <laughs> it's just, I mean, do you ever think about that? We act like we could just go find somebody else that would just, you know, you know in any moment I could just go. you know how lucky you are? that Somebody that knows me, everything about me, and my wife knows me better than anybody, and she still wants to be with me? That's, that's rare. That's not something to take for, you know, for granted. That's not something to take lightly. This is a big deal. So weaker vessel does not mean of less value. We have equal value in Christ, okay? It also doesn't mean that women are weaker intellectually, spiritually, or morally. Actually, many women are, are stronger than their husbands in each of those areas, right? I think it definitely has physical strength in mind here. Again, generally speaking, uh, Men are physically stronger than women. But I, but I want you to think about um, the structure and the hierarchy that God has given us. Weaker can also refer to position. So the last time we talked about the fact that God has called men to be the leaders in their homes, this puts them in the strongest position. And, and so he's saying, husbands, because I put you in this position, you need to be understanding and you need to honor your wife since, since she's in this other position. And, and so this means that men are never to take advantage of this stronger position in a way that intimidates or frightens their wives. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, if you're talking down to them, if you're talking to them like they're inferior, if, if the way you speak to them is causing you to raise your blood pressure, your voice, or your hand, you're not honoring God. You're not honoring your wife. Okay? Now, I had to learn the voice part early on in my marriage because when I get excited... Uh, when I get passionate, I start talking faster and I start talking louder. And so I would, I'd start, you know, Joy and I would be talking about something and I'd start doing this and I'm talking pretty fast, you know, and, I get, and pretty soon I'd watch her just kind of like, you know, cower away and I'm like, what's going on? Well, she received that as anger. She thought I was mad about something. I wasn't, but I had to learn, okay, if I, when I'm talking to my wife, I have to slow down, speak a little bit more calmly. This is part of just being understanding, paying attention to what's going on. Um, this is just one example of what it means for husbands to be understanding with their wives. But I just want to point out that the, pack, the fact that Peter has to tell us this, it, you know, we've we got to pick up on some, what it means for husbands, just in case you didn't catch it, is there are going to be times when our wives are hard to understand, hard for us to understand. <laughs> Probably not for other women, but for us as men, there's going to be times when we're like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what she's thinking. I don't, you know, this is, you know, again, I, I said men aren't very complex creatures. That's true. Women... Not so much. They're, they're very complex creatures. Uh, there's times when I don't, I don't understand my wife completely, but I, I need to seek to do that. This is going to take effort. I remember sometimes even like talking about the honeydew list. This comes up a lot in marriages. You know, oh, my wife's always busting my chops trying to get me to do this list of stuff. Somebody pointed out to me one time that if your house is broken down, it, it makes your wife feel broken down. Or, or reflects on her. So your home is kind of a reflection of her. And so if you've got a shutter hanging off the front, I'm not going to say too many examples because I don't want to see elbows start going like this. But if, you're, you know, if you've got something in your house that's going wrong, you know, I would have never put that together in my head. I'm just like, I'll get to it when I get to it. I didn't think about how it affected her or how it made her feel. So these are the kinds of examples that uh, we have to work on. 
We have to think about what our wives' great, greatest needs are and how we can communicate love to them effectively. And I just want to point out, guys, remember how good we were at this before we got married? I mean, we, we worked hard to get the girl. Shouldn't we work just as hard to keep the girl? Right? So I would encourage husbands, give of yourselves. I know it's hard. might be the last thing on your mind after a day of hard work and stress and business and all this kind of stuff, but we're supposed to make it a priority. It needs to be at the top of our to-do list under our our relationship with God. I mean, think about all the things you're willing to give yourselves to. If a friend needs you or you want to hang out with somebody, you'll give to that. If, you know, your work needs you, I got to make, you know, hobbies, you can just go on and on. Recreation, somebody's in need, TV show you want to watch, ministry, that's a dangerous one for pastors and for Christians as well. We're willing to give ourselves to those things because they're important to us. How important is your wife and your family? Figuring out how to connect with our wives um, sometimes isn't easy for men, so I'm going to try to help you out by giving you a target. Uh, Several years ago, we we read a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages, and and I know some guys are already going, oh, here we go. That's okay. Hang in there. (laughs) I I found it helpful. Um, It encourages husbands to figure out how to love their wives not in a general way, but in a specific way. All right, so, so we, we do this by learning what their specific love language is or the, the primary way that they, they, they receive love. So um, this, these are the ones they are. The first one is touch. That's pretty obvious. This is snuggling, cuddling, you know, that kind of stuff, sitting close to each other. Um, some women feel loved through that. Quality time. This is a huge one. Um, this one is, is quality time as defined by them not by you. So, so a husband can think, I just sat in the, you know, the, the, the chair watching TV with you for three hours. What do you mean? You know, we spent quality time together all the time. That might not, that might not, you know, or if you're looking at your phone the whole time, but you're in the same room with them, that may not be quality time. It, it might mean going for a walk in the evening, going to a restaurant, you know, they get to define that, but quality time is a huge one. And the next one, the next one is acts of service. Um, unfortunately for Joy, this is how I receive love. <laughs> you do something for me, I feel loved. Um, but again, like you, you do the dishes, you, you put some clothes away, you, you, know, you, you go to the store and you buy something special for them that they needed, that you remembered. Those are all kind of acts of service things. Gifts. Uh, this doesn't have to be expensive. This can just be that you were thinking of somebody. Hey, I, I, th- I saw this, this thing I knew you wanted and I, I got it for you. It makes them feel special when they receive a gift. Uh, words of affirmation. This is a big one. Letting them know that you value them. They're smart, they're capable, um, they're, they're beautiful. Um, and and not, just to, not just to them, but in front of others too. Huge thing for, for some women to get words of affirmation. Keeping in mind that doing the opposite of these things will, will make them feel unloved. So if, if you're making fun of your wife in front of your friends and words of affirmation, well, it doesn't really matter what gift it is, um, she's gonna feel pretty unloved at that point. So, um, or if you walk into the house and you see 20 things she's done right and you, you zero in on the one thing that she, she didn't get to, I have this gift, I don't know how I do it, but uh, <laughs> I find a way to do it. She doesn't like that much for some reason and I can understand why. Um, anyway, you wanna, you wanna, if you want to communicate love effectively to your wife, figure out their love language because it's easy to make the mistake of thinking that, so for me, like I said, my, my love language is acts of service. So since that's how I feel loved, I think that's the way I'll show love to somebody else and it'll work. So it's like I'm shooting arrows at that target. You know, hey, I did the dishes. And she's like, thanks. And you don't, are you not just overwhelmed with this love I've just shown you? Well, that's not her love language, right? So you got to figure out, otherwise you're, you're kind of, you might be missing the thing. Um, and, 
if you're not sure about it, watch how your wife loves others. So if she's constantly buying gifts for people to make them feel loved, it's probably her love language. If she's showing love to somebody by telling them things, words of affirmation, that, that could be it. Or if you really want to get, you know, crazy, ask. <laughs> ask her. Maybe she'll just tell you what it is, right? We don't have to make it complicated. It's sad that we're not able to speak about these things sometimes to each other. It should be pretty, pretty easy for us to do, but, but we don't. Okay, wrapping up, I want to give some homework to the married people. So for the singles right now, you can go, okay, finally, we get our, we get our due. You don't have homework. But for married people, I want, I want to give you some homework. I want you to go home and, and just ask each other a couple of questions. Before you do that, I would just say pray. Pray first, maybe by yourself or maybe together. Um, make a commitment that you will speak lovingly and respectfully to each other, no matter what happens. And then, um, you know, and not get angry. So men, I'm going to give you two questions you can ask your wife. Start with the first one. If it goes well and you feel brave, move on to the second one, okay? But the first one's pretty safe. Ask her this, what are the things I do that make you feel loved? Okay, and just let her talk. Find out, you'll start to understand. And what that'll do is it'll give you a target to start aiming at. If you're brave and you wanna ask the second question, it's this, what are the things that I do that make you feel the most unloved? Okay, and pay attention to those too because that will give you a target to avoid (laughs) in the future. All right? And then wife's questions are the same. Husband, what are the things that I do that make you feel respected? And what are the things that I do that make you feel disrespected? When we figure these things out, we'll be able to love each other and respect each other well. I think, I think sometimes we just don't know what we're doing to each other. There's times when Joy will talk to me, and she's, she's trying to be helpful, but I'll hear my dad, you're incompetent, you're an idiot. And I'll get mad at her, like, you know, what are you doing? And it's like, she's not doing anything wrong. But, but her knowing that, you know, oh, wow, I'm bringing that up again. It just changes things. We, we, we start to understand each other. So you might be surprised at some of the answers, but again, it'll give you a good target. Okay, lastly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably embarrass somebody in my attempt to honor them. But um, I think when you see an example of somebody who's put these things into practice and done what God has asked them to do, and, and you see the difference it makes, it's worth acknowledging. So a few years back... My good friends were celebrating uh, 25 years of, of uh, being married, and they decided to renew their vows, and they asked me to open the, the ceremony, and so this is what I said to them at this time, and I'm going to try not to cry, but I'll probably do it. You guys weren't in the room, so you might not even heard this then, but this is what I said. We are here tonight to celebrate 25 years of marriage and to see these two renew their vows, but more than that, we are here to celebrate God's faithfulness and the power of the gospel. If you're not aware of the story of David and Carrie's marriage, it has not always been what it is today. They broke up on a regular basis when they were dating, so they decided it would be a good idea to get married. Against the advice of counselors, pastors, and friends who placed bets on how quickly they would get divorced. When we met uh, David and Carrie about six years into their marriage, uh, Joy and I had moved from Coeur d'Alene and bought a house right next door to the Thompsons. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Because when you live right next door to each other, you see and hear everything that goes on in each other's lives. Or your kids will tell you. So God's command for husbands is to love their wives as Christ loved his church and to give himself for her. And God's command for wives is that she submit to her husband and show him respect as the head of the marriage. These two simply were not doing anything close to resembling that when we met them. There were times when I didn't know if they were going to make it. But over the years, they began to accept and embrace their individual roles out of obedience to God, and things began to change. 
I see the way they treat each other today, and I'm amazed at what God has done. They're not perfect, but David really loves and appreciates his wife, and Carrie really respects her husband, and God is glorified and magnified in it. Marriage is a picture of the gospel, which is why it is so important to hold fast to. The gospel tells a story of a man and his bride, Jesus in the church. The man chose to love his bride and to remain faithful to her regardless of what she does or does not do. His love for her is not based on performance or faithfulness or even us loving him in return. Jesus laid down his life for his bride and promised that he would never leave or forsake her, period. This is how we are to act in marriage. And since this is a picture of the gospel, we have a responsibility before the watching world to maintain the integrity of this gospel illustration by staying married. These two have had every reason to throw in the towel and end this thing. Most people wouldn't have even blamed them for it. And yet, they chose to accept their God-given roles and take up their crosses and stay married. God has not only blessed them, For this, by giving them an ever-improving relationship, but he's blessed us. So David and Carrie, thank you for believing and modeling the gospel. Thank you for your commitment to Christ. Thank you for not taking the easy way out, but instead dying to yourselves. May you continue to honor God by fulfilling your roles unto him and have many happy years together. Um, I love what God has done in there, and they would be the first to say it's him but to see where it came from and where it's going, man, it's powerful. And, and I'm glad that they, they've done what they've done. It's an example to all of us. So I got through it almost. In closing, I just want to remind you, God's design and desire for marriage is very good. And when we're willing to follow his blueprint, it makes for a strong and fulfilling marriage. So accept and fulfill your role as a husband and as a wife. Do it to the glory of God, for the good of your marriage, and a testimony of the gospel to those who are watching. Amen. All right. Father, thank you so much for the gift of marriage. Uh, Lord, it's, it's hard, but when we do it the way you've designed it, it's such a beautiful thing. So, so just thank you, for, um, thank you for the ultimate marriage of, of what you have done in, in making us your people, your bride. Uh, we know we don't deserve that, Lord, but we are in awe of who you are and what you do. And we just pray that, Lord, as a church, we would care about marriage and, and that we would, um, we would work hard, Lord, to, to make sure that our marriages are testimonies of, of the truth of the gospel. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.